Welcome to the Forge America Missional Podcast. My name is Terry Ishii, and today on the roundtable, we are joined uh, by Alan Bradford uh, in Knoxville, Tennessee. Alan, how are you doing? Oh, man, doing good. Always good to be here with you. Good. And we're also joined by Molly Conaway from Knoxville, Tennessee. Molly, uh, thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, I think it's funny that you say we're actually sitting at a roundtable because we're very far away from each other. We are very, we are very far away from it. It's, it's, a, it's a virtual roundtable. Yes, got it. No, thanks for having me. Uh, Molly, uh, this is your first time on the podcast. Why don't you tell, tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of where you're at in the world. I know you're in Knoxville, but what, you know, who is Molly Conaway? Yeah, so I'm a pastor on staff at Crossings here in Knoxville, um, been on staff for gosh, what is it, Alan, like 11 years or something like that. And um, I'm uh, right now I'm part-time because I have uh, two-year-old twins. And so my husband and I also run a community garden. I actually think he's been on this podcast to talk about our garden. Is that right? Um, but he and I, you know, it's, it's all volunteer, but we run a community garden. And basically we've shrunk our lives down into a six-block area um, he works up at a high school and just trying to be good neighbors and yeah, doing that thing. So here, here's the fun part about Molly. So Molly and I, we are on staff together. Here's the best part. When I got hired on at staff, uh, our lead pastor, who who is a, is a good friend of mine. I've known him since I was 14, right? He was actually my youth minister. He says, hey, uh, we're going to have this transition in staff. And here's this guy that's going to come in. Didn't say my name, said, hey, all this stuff. And Molly lost her mind and was like, who is this guy? Why is he coming? Does he even know, even know who we are? Like apparently was completely opposed to me coming on staff. And I didn't know you. So, I mean, no offense. I just <laughs> wasn't for it. Yep, I guess I it worked it. out though. I know the best part is that three of us have been the longest on staff together. We've been we've been working together for about ten years. All right. Well, thanks. Thank you guys for being on the podcast. Uh, so today we're going to talk about uh, it can be a sensitive uh, topic, but we're gonna we're gonna try to not make fools of ourselves and say something stupid. I think that's all of our biggest fears uh, for the next thirty minutes. But uh, we're going to talk about mental health, uh, kind of uh, in in the context of kind of the current situation of COVID and. Um, you know, I'm reading article after article of uh, pastors feel more stressed out now than they ever have, um, even though they're at least potential, they're getting more rest and more sleep. Uh, they're in traffic less. So like the typical things that stress people out, they're doing less of those things, but yet people are reporting higher levels of stress due to kind of this new way, new normal uh, even I was looking at the the uh, medical news today has an article and the, kind of the headline from uh, just a couple of days ago, uh, U.S. cases for depression have tripled during COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and so they did a large study on this kind of dramatic uh, increase. And basically what they've come down to is that the number of adults experiencing depression in the U.S. has tripled. Uh, research researchers estimate that more than one in four U.S. adults are now reporting experiencing symptoms of depression. Uh, before the pandemic, about 8.5 percent of U.S. adults uh, reported being depressed. That number has risen to almost 28 percent 
uh, in the last six months. And so lots of things being said, lots of things being mentioned about mental health. Um, one of the things I'd like to have a conversation around is, yes, we need to think through pastors and leaders and burnout and all those things, but we're going to have a bunch of churches uh, out there who a lot of their congregations are going to be filled with people struggling with mental health. And I think this is something that we can all agree on. And I don't think any pastor, well, some people might get offended by what I'm about to say, but I think most people would agree that the church really isn't prepared to deal with mental health issues. We're just, that is something that we are truly lacking in that conversation, learning, education, uh, and practical steps on how to do that. So I'd love to hear some of your guys' thoughts and what you're seeing, what you're reading and what you're hearing. Yeah. And Terry, along with pandemic stuff, you know, um, I think Al and I both talk about how after how many years we've been in ministry, you see something happen this time of year when it gets cold, when it gets dark. Um, the seasonal change does bring about a lot of mental health issues for a lot of people. Uh, even if they've known that they've been dealing with this for years and years, they know it's coming. And, you know, some people are prepared to handle it. I've got a friend who every fall will tell me, here's how I plan to, you know, manage my depression come November. Um, so she sets up a plan because she knows it's coming. So I think it's, it's, it's COVID, it's quarantine, um, but it's also kind of the seasonal stuff. This is, a, this is an excellent time of year to be talking about this. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's uh, uh, the perfect storm. Uh, if you're familiar with that George Clooney, sweet Marky Mark uh, movie <laughs> reference, but it, it really is a perfect storm. I mean, you've got COVID. Uh, so we've got this, we're on month seventh of quarantine. You, we're entering into a season of year where it's typically, you know, more depression cases, but we've got thousands and thousands of acres of wildfires on the Western part of the United States. Um, and we have an election coming up and we have civil unrest with, you know, race issues in our country. So I mean, there's a ton of, th I mean, there's, It'd be easy. It would be easy. It'd be easier if it was just one thing we're battling, but there are a lot of things going on and it's hitting from all the different areas. And so it's almost like in the past, one of the ways that I've dealt with my depression is how can I get my mind focused on something else? Uh, but there's so much going on. I just find myself bumping from one depressing thing to another depressing thing to another depressing thing. And social media just makes it, it, it amplifies it, you know, a hundred times. Yeah, I think it's important that we have conversations like this. And, you know, I don't know if you said at the beginning, but um, none of us on this call are mental health professionals. Let's be clear about that. Um, but I do think it's, it's and it'd be great to have a mental health professional here. But even if not, we still need to be talking about this because I do think, you know, going to see a therapist and engaging in these conversations and it's becoming less taboo, I think, among millennials. I think it's like kind of a normal thing to have a therapist now. It's not as big of a deal. Um, but also, like, therapists are booked, like, and yeah. they're expensive. And there's a lot of things, you know, that we need to be doing alongside promoting, you know, seeing a professional. Like, it, I actually think it's a good thing that we're having this conversation, even if we can't have a mental health professional on this call because we need to normalize these conversations and be able to talk about, hey, we're all dealing with this. Yeah, and I think I've seen what you've seen, uh, Terry, um, where it's everything coming together at once, right? It's all this stuff. And, and there are people in our lives that are experiencing not only just what you laid out, but then also 
personal tragedy, personal setback. You look at some uh, the economy stuff, you know, money, health issues. Um, there was a season about, I don't know, about eight or nine years ago on our staff with Molly and I, where we felt like, um, well, we've had a couple of seasons like this, but it was like there were so many things that happened in our community in a short amount of time. Typical things, typical life and death stuff, health, you know, sickness, you know, divorces, death, all these things, but it all happened in a short amount of time. And as pastors, we had to try to figure out, okay, how do we navigate this? How do we carry this? At one point, uh, just recently, we were going through some of this and I just wrote down for our staff, here's everything we've gone through in this season. And it was this huge document of just point after point after point after point after point of just, here's the things that have happened in our community that, that maybe not directly affect us, but that we're carrying with our community. We're trying to trying to come alongside our community and to recognize it and to go, oh yeah, this is, this is actually pretty big stuff. Like this is how do we navigate this well as pastors, as leaders, but then also just as, as Christians, as, as a community that's trying to come alongside each other. And I also think there's this weird dichotomy, which this is how it's been for me in this season. There's this weird dichotomy between there's all this stuff going on around you and around me on a global level, on a local level, it, within close relationships. But my like day-to-day life is pretty unaffected by it. In fact, my day-to-day life is more stable and healthy than ever. Um, I, you know, my family has not had COVID. Uh, we are white. You know, some of these things aren't touching my life personally. They're just kind of surrounding me. And that, I think, sets up a really weird, like, disconnect of I, sh- I should be depressed, but I'm not, or I am depressed. You know, it's just, it's, it's hard to kind of wrap our minds around all these things, whether or not they even touch us personally. Yeah. I, I almost hesitate to say this, but uh, before quarantine, like you, you started by saying the stats about pastors, uh, Terry. Um, and before quarantine, I would say, yes, totally burnt out, overwhelmed, you know, just like, all right, can I do anything else besides what I'm doing now? Quarantine hit. And it was like, oh, I, I kind of received this and was like, wait, I get to stay home, work from home. Like it was probably one of the greatest blessings to my, my own personal mental health ever. I mean, you know what you're saying? I, I don't have to deal with the traffic. I don't have to deal with parking downtown. I don't have to deal with all this stuff. Now, and I totally echo what Molly's saying. I, I feel like during this time, I have known people who have, have really suffered or really hurt, but personally I'm not. Um, but then I think it goes back to what you said about social media, that through social media, we see the weight of the world and we're having to figure out how to carry the weight of the world as we navigate this. Yeah. And and you may be sitting listening uh, to this right now and thinking like, oh my gosh, my, my experience is the complete opposite of that. And I think a, a lot of it has to do with personality. I mean, we're sitting on this podcast. I'm a, you know, Enneagram wise, I'm a six. Molly's a seven. Alan's an eight. I think those are really good numbers to have th- during this time. But most pastors, at least in the West, most evangelical pastors are threes. I mean, just there's just an insane amount of threes that are leading churches. And so those achievers, those achieving personalities, it's like they don't feel like they're accomplishing anything right now. And so they're not busy enough. Like I was talking with a pastor recently and my, and I know he's a three, he's a hard, I mean, he's a three with a three wing. I mean, he is just hardcore. And my, my, my advice to him was like, dude, give yourself a break. Like stop trying to achieve right now. This isn't a season to achieve. This is a season to reflect and adapt. 
Uh, but it was so hard for him to receive that because in his mind, he feels like he's not being, he's not being successful if he's not taking off check marks. And, and so for him, he's, he's actually, he's more busier than he ever has been. And it's because he's creating work. He's creating things to achieve when it's like, what, what value is it truly adding, but he's busy. And, and that's the thing that we have to, I think it's helpful to have some awareness to say, okay, yeah, I am a three. I can, I can slow down. You know, I can give myself permission to do that. And I think that's where you get, you, you have to be really healthy to be able to do that. Yeah. And depression and anxiety are so easily linked. I think we're discovering. Um, and so paying attention to some of those feelings um, are really important and not pushing them aside. And again, I'm a seven who I pay attention to those feelings, the hard ones, the dark ones. Um, and then I quickly try and <laughs> get rid of them. Um, but it is important to spend some time with them and try and figure out where they're really coming from. Uh, and then talking to people about it. So we, um, you know, in this whole conversation, we actually got all of Crossings is really lucky. We have this huge contingency of mental health professionals all across the board, you know, uh, psychiatric medicine professionals, psychiatrists, social workers, all of them. And we sat them all down on a Zoom call and said, what can we be doing for our people? You know, what, what do we need to remember during this time? Um, and one of the biggest things they said is just those simple social connections, just those simple touches with people uh, and being able to talk about this stuff. Yeah, it's good to incorporate practices and, you know, um, mindfulness, breathing techniques and stuff. But we can't underestimate the power of, of those local relationships. And I said, what a great, I mean, this is an opportunity for the church. This is exactly what the church is made for and not underestimating those relationships that we have with our people. Yeah. And I think that's really good. The, the idea of, because when I was thinking through some of this, the idea of presence is huge. Uh, what I hear about in the midst of this is just the isolation um, is the, I feel so, I feel so alone. I feel so disconnected. Zoom is not fulfilling. It's not filling up my bucket, you know, relationally. Right. And so in the midst of this, when we're all trying to be safe, we're trying to be healthy, we're trying to figure out what our boundaries are. How do you still maintain a presence um, in, in, in everybody's, in each other's lives, right? It takes some real intentionality to still maintain a, a physical presence in other people's lives. Yeah. You, Molly, you had mentioned earlier the, the stigma of going to counseling and, and talking to someone. Uh, I remember years ago, I've, I'm, I've struggled with depression my whole life. Um, and I remember when I was a very young pastor, uh, our church had a, uh, a counseling ministry. And it was one of those things where it was obvious that the kid needed counseling. So they're like, Terry, you got to go talk to somebody. And uh, I remember at the time there was like, uh, don't, don't, don't have your counseling sessions like at the church, like get outside, you know, cause it was that thing is like, we don't, you know, we don't want to see our leaders walking in and out of the counselor's office, you know? And so, uh, and it was, it was so obvious because they'd always put like a little box fan outside the door and turn it on high. So that humming sound would block out any. And so if you walked out of the door with the fan running, it was like, yeah, you was, you was getting some therapy. Um, <laughs> but fast forward to today, you know, my role as a, as a church planning catalyst, I, I talk to to tons and tons of church planners and all of my guys are in counseling. They're, they all see counselors. And it's just like, now all these guys are 25, 
30. They like they 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 don't have that stigma, but they're openly and like I recommend for people who are pioneering big things is like here are the things you're going to need. You're going to need someone to resource you. You're going to need a sugar daddy to pray for you and fund this thing. You're going to need a coach who can help guide you through conversation and you're going to need a counselor to to help you deal with your family and all of those things. And it's just it's it's I think it's just it's the same thing as being a person who commits to wearing deodorant every day. It's just, I think it's just a a good natural thing to do. Um, My role as a coach, I mean, I I get that all the time. I get people all the time telling me, you know, Oh, this is like going to counseling, you know, and I'm not a counselor by any means, but just having someone to ask you questions and you just to share and knowing that someone's listening, that has a, a huge effect on people that it, it, it for their, their psyche and their mental health. And so, yeah, and, uh, that's something that I've noticed. Yeah. And I think when we encourage people to see a counselor, I think we need to remember like, just, this isn't have to be long-term. It can be, it doesn't have to be long-term, yeah. you know, go once. And also if you go once and don't like the counselor, that's fine. Yeah. You know, the, the counselors will say, we both need to figure out if this is a good fit. So, you know, don't feel like this is like you're signing up, like signing your life away just to talk to some person. But um, yeah, so Ben and I have been seeing a counselor for a while now. Our kind, my kind of journey in all of this is uh, a year after the twins were born. I started really feeling not myself. Um, you know, I I just could tell something was off. And again, I'm a seven, so I'm really in touch with those bad, <laughs> bad feelings. And it went on long enough. And, you know, so I got on a low dose of Zoloft and now I should be on Zoloft commercials because it was, it was <laughs> life-changing. I mean, it really was life-changing. I felt like, again, myself. And, you know, it's funny because the number of conversations I've had with people about seeing a therapist and considering medicine, it's not for everybody, but it's for some people. I've had those conversations and I've known what I'm supposed to say totally different thing to actually experience it myself. Um, so that was a really powerful tool for me as a pastor to actually know, know what that experience is like. I'm not thankful that I kind of went through that season. Um, but I am thankful of the way God used it, um, now in retrospect of, of, that I can actually relate to people. So you you were talking about your early experience as a pastor, uh, Terry, mine coming out of, uh, Bible college, I had two counseling classes, right? Two. And they were a bit of a joke. Let's just be honest. It was just kind of like scratch the surface, whatever. And then I get thrown into a church and a church community and I was a youth pastor and real problems and real needs are starting to show up. And I'm like, oh, this is my job. Like, this is what I do. I've had those two classes, right? And oh, dear Lord, thank you for saving me from my own messes and the junk that I've done and give me all the grace in the world and forgive me because I entered into things I should never have been into. And it was really quick where I'm like, Oh, this is above my pay grade. And, and I need, I need professionals. Now, fortunately the church that I was in had a counselor. And so I was able, and again, I I'd never even seen a counselor before, like, like literally actually seen a person who was a counselor. This is the early, you know, 2000. Um, and I'm just like, oh, so this is what this job is and this is how this works. And, and I, I can, I can counsel people. I can, I can bring parts of who I am and my presence and, you know, the Jesus stuff into this conversation. But at some point I got to realize, okay, 
I need you to go here now. And I feel like a lot of my job is to help really be a bridge between, um, between people and getting into, into counseling and the therapy. I, mean, I don't know how many people I've just said, I will, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll walk this journey with you. And we have walked the journey to like, how do I help you get connected to somebody who's, who knows this stuff, who can navigate all of this with you? Yeah. And this is where I think the church really can stand in the gap and, and do some good. Uh, but like I said earlier, I mean, I think the church is just so ill, ill-equipped for this. I, I remember my, my, my very first gathering that I ever did as a pastor. Um, I, I, I didn't take the normal route into ministry. I was mentored into uh, ministry and um, young married. I mean, I'm young married. I was like 19 years old. Uh, just getting started. And I remember we had, we had taken like three months of like, Hey, we're going to launch this thing. I was at a church plant where we have some students, we're going to do this. And so we're, we're beginning all the planning to do this. And we have our first event, our first night, handful of kids show up, we're doing the thing and uh, leading into that time, you know, basically being told is like, you got this, you know, your life experience as a kid. And for some of you who know my, my childhood story, I really, I mean, that was the thing I felt called into ministry. It was like, I'll never encounter something that I can't relate with. You know, I was homeless as a kid, grew up in a boy's home, foster care. I mean, you just imagine drug addiction, all of it. I, you know, I, I have all the hits. Um, and they basically said, you're, you're going to be fine. You'll never, there'll be nothing you won't be able to handle. And so my first night, we're, we're doing the little thing, hand plants and games, you know, eating pizza, drinking soda. And then uh, we circle up, do the little talk. And then, uh, when it's all said and done, I'm like, dude, huge success, big win. And then this teenage girl walks up to me at the end and says, Hey, uh, I haven't told my parents this yet, but I'm pregnant and I don't know what to do. And I just remember like scratching my head being like, Oh crap. Like I am not prepared for this. Like how in the world, you know, and, and that story is, I've told that story for years and you know, I hear that from all the time where pastors are we're just ill-equipped. We don't know how to handle these sorts of situations, whether you're a young youth pastor or you've been a pastor for 20 years and someone steps up, ste- uh, steps into your office and, you know, they don't, they don't know what, they don't know how to stop crying. They don't know, they don't even know how to articulate how they're feeling. So, I mean, again, I don't think we have the answers of how we fix this, but I think awareness is the first step. I mean, I think we have to be aware that this is an issue and we have to lean into this this issue. Absolutely. And depending on those who have spent their life studying this, just I mean, I just feel so lucky that we have a list of what, Alan, like 10, 15 people we could call if we need help with some mental health issues um, or how we just manage as a staff to walk through it. Something I thought that was really interesting when we had this conversation with our mental health professionals in our community. Um, I was like, what do we need to do? Do we need to start some kind of like group therapy thing in our church? Do we need to start, like, do we need to raise money to just send people to therapy since the money thing is such a, a, a barrier? Do we need to, what do we need to do? And they, they basically unanimously, this was so interesting in retrospect, they said, no, keep being the church, keep, you know, uh, the things the church can provide is, affirming people's identity in Christ, affirming the Imago Dei within people. They can provide community touches, social support, which is such a basic thing people need. We can provide people sharing stories of the ways they've come through some of these dark places so that people aren't as isolated in those hard feelings. And 
uh, one friend even said, don't even think about trying all these mental health like practices and calling it mental health meditation. That's prayer. Like when we start to see prayer, you know, you look at where meditation and breath, you know, breathing practices came from, they came from early prayer practices. And again, all of this is not to say, oh, just pray and it'll be fixed. Just, you know, you don't need, absolutely, you need your mental health professionals. Absolutely, people need to go to therapy. But also for our pastors, don't underestimate the work that we're doing in all of these areas that will, that, that provide, you know, support mentally. Uh, you know, if we believe that we are uh, mental beings, emotional beings, physical beings, we're also spiritual beings and all of those things are connected for sure. Yeah. Let me give you an example too. Uh, based on that conversation that Molly had, uh, that some of our staff had with those mental health professionals, we had been doing something on our um, Sunday gatherings just called practice resurrection. And Molly, could you kind of explain how we changed that and kind of the reason behind why we changed it? And the practice resurrection was just a time where we would tell stories of people who are practicing the resurrection. So if somebody in our community, they tell a story about, Hey, this is what I'm doing uh, because I live in light of the resurrection. And they tell the story about, you know, how it is God's using them, things like that. Well, we're, we're starting to kind of um, shift a little bit. Um, and it was based on this conversation. Could you unpack it, Molly? Because it was mostly your idea. Yeah, well, <laughs> so something else that this group of mental health professionals recommended is putting stories out there of our people that have navigated these difficult times. For those of you who grew up in the church, this is what we call testimony time. Um, <laughs> so really, this is nothing new. Um, but they basically said, don't underestimate the power that people have in sharing their own stories, because part of all of this issue, and Terry, that article that you kind of referenced at the beginning, so much of it was about isolation, uh, and not just COVID isolation, but the isolation and feeling like these things that I'm feeling are not normal. Um, that really gets people spiraling. So just the simple act of asking people who have navigated difficult things to say, this is what I navigated, this is what I did, um, actually can provide a lot of support for people. Yeah, all that to say, I think there are practical things that you could do to still be the church and still guide people towards mental wholeness. Um, one, of the, So things like that, but then another thing too, and I heard this early on as a pastor, and it, it took me a while to really kind of figure it out, but as a pastor, someone said, you should have vetted and know the counselors in your area. Um, so no, you know, like really go out there, like go spend some time interviewing some counselors. Um, and again, like in our community, when we say we have probably 10 to 15 counselors, um, that does not even, I don't even think that includes the counselors we know of that are just like, they know our community, we know them, and we're willing to say, hey, this person over here, they would be great for you to connect with because, because we're connected to them, we've, we've vetted them, we, we know who they are, and they are a resource to uh, us, and we try to be a resource to them. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the counselors we recommend probably are never going to step foot in crossings because they know too much <laughs> about too many people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's all right. It's all good. Well, let, let's take a, a second because um, this is a, a missional podcast. And so I'd love to ground this into um, how, 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 do we, how does this conversation uh, impact our everyday life, our, our mission? And so um, one of the things that we talk about in Forge is the idea of rule of life, like creating rhythms, creating practices. Uh, and Molly, I think you, you, you glanced on hit just a little bit about some, some, some sort of practice that we can do, whether it's silence, meditation, prayer. 
And so I'd love to hear what you guys have seen uh, in both in your own life, but even as pastors, how you have equipped others. So uh, what are what are those rhythms, practices, some some rule of life things that we can impart in people? I don't know if this qualifies as rule of life, but the first thing that comes to my mind, um, and this has been life changing for me, um, and especially as a pastor, as um, someone who I've I've had to learn this skill, and it was. Um, I guess, I guess awareness and being intentionally curious about the other. So in other words, not imposing my experience of whatever, maybe it's just quarantine time on someone else and saying, Hey, I'm fine. That means you're fine too. Right. But being aware and then being intentionally curious uh, because I mean, the greatest thing about counseling is literally, I tell people this, you get to go in and talk about yourself for an hour. Sure. And I'm just enough of a narcissist to go, that sounds great, <laughs> you know? And so if I could give that space to someone else, now I may not have all the answers. I may not be able to navigate that totally well, but like to give that space and say, I want to, I want to hear about you. I want to know what's going on with you. I want to kind of continually put the conversation back on you, not just wait for my turn to talk or wait for my turn to, to sound brilliant, but to kind of understand and to hear, you'll start to hear people's thoughts, you'll start to hear what's going on inside of them. Um, and so as well, one of the things that we do as part of our Forge residency in Knoxville, um, is we try to help people learn to be intentionally curious. How do you take the posture of listening? Um, and we have a great couple in our community, uh, Ted and Stephanie Hethcote. I've adopted them as my grandparents. They're great people, but they kind of guide people through that where they say, this is how you, it's not just like uh, what they call active listening. It's beyond that. It is being genuinely interested, curious of the other, kind of seeing that person as the Imago Day and leaning in. Yeah, I have a, a church, a Forge partner uh, here in Austin uh, that we're working with. And uh, I mean, he's come up with a really fascinating, it's not a new idea, but it's, it's, it's new in the sense that not a lot of people are practicing it. Um, but he is, he's utilizing Forge to equip his uh, a handful of leaders to be spiritual directors uh, in, in the congregation. And so really not being a church that gathers around the stage, but being a church that gathers around spiritual directors where his idea is if I can have five or six spiritual directors who like their role in the body is to coach. So that, that very thing, they want to be interested in what, what's going on in that person's life in a holistic way, both spiritual, physical, mental, all of that. Uh, and then provide them some next steps and and help them create and really course a plot for their spiritual their their spiritual emotional physical life, um, and and you know getting people to to live out some of these actions and and discover the the rhythms that work best for you. And one of the things that you know even conversations with with uh, Nick, I'll give him a shout out uh, that he's doing here is this idea of helping helping his people realize you have to change. You, you can't just like figure it out once and be like, all right, guys, I've got my plan uh, because my rule of life has changed tons of times in, in, in my lifetime. I, I remember when I was 16, 17 years old at the boys home, uh, I would go to counseling, uh, mandatory counseling, and they would they would give me my rule of life. And my rule of life at that time was was when I got home from school, I had to put my book bag on the doorstep of the house they wouldn't let me come inside the house. I had to put my books book back on the doorstep of the house. And then I had to go do something physical for two hours every day. I had to go play basketball, you know, go, I don't know, 
clean the chicken coop if I was in trouble, whatever the, whatever the boys home had, I, I, that's what you'd have to go exert. I have to go sweat for two hours. And then by the time those two hours were over, I could come into the house and I wouldn't be a violent little devil uh, <laughs> because I was so exhausted. But now like I have a completely different rule of life to help keep me in check, to keep me balanced, to keep my head level. Uh, and I'm definitely not sweating for two hours a day. I mean, I wish I was, but uh, it's a whole different thing because you grow. So you've got to change it as you go. So the, the practices and rule of life that worked for you the last time may be different. You may need something. And that's where having someone to talk to, having a coach, having someone to help pull that out of you is so, so critical. You brought up a lot of good points there, Terry. The first one is spiritual direction is so underutilized, at least in the tradition I grew up in. Um, and I highly recommend seeing a spiritual director if that's if that's available to you in your city. It's such an, an, a neat thing that I had no idea about, um, but a really, really great thing. So that's a great point. The other thing is with this rule of life changing, that's an excellent point for right now because in quarantine, you know, we're always talking about essential and non-essential activity, uh, which reminded me of a talk that uh, Cass Frost gave at One Forge gathering and talked about how when you're in an airplane if there's turbulence what do you have to do you have to put your tray table up you have to turn off electronic devices you have to get rid of all the non-essential activity um, I think it's a really good point that right now when we're thinking about what's essential and what's not essential that applies to us and our mental health as well so um, you know do, we don't need to like go crazy with these rule of life things thinking like I'm gonna fast for three days, I'm going to, you know, have two hours of meditation every morning. Like it doesn't need to be like, like you said, put your backpack down, turn off your phone and go outside for two hours. You know, you don't have to do anything. Just go outside without your phone for two hours. Like simple, simple things like that are, I think are really important right now to kind of reground ourselves and reminding, okay, it is important to be off my phone, you know, setting ourselves up, setting the foundation up for how, you know, that's the whole rule of life thing. How do we want to live? Who do we want to be? Uh, we actually have a really great opportunity right now to reset um, some of these rhythms of life. All right. Well, let's, uh, we've been going for quite a while. So uh, as we wrap up, uh, I'd love to hear just some, some final encouragements or some final thoughts from you guys on how do we, you know, if someone's listening or, you know, they're, they're leading a church that some people might need to take some next steps. What would be your encouragement for next steps? Yeah, so I think for me, the kind of big points of this are ask for help, seek help, pay attention to those hard feelings, but also don't underestimate the things you can do, you know, for yourself, um, for the people in your community. As pastors, we live in this story of God that um, affirms the image of God within us, that affirms the goodness and the beauty within us. We are pastors over communities, and just those simple touches are important. Um, and just the, you know, don't underestimate prayer uh, as a practice for your mental health, not just spiritual health. Uh, learning to take deep breaths, I think, is um, some of the most spiritual things we can do. And taking naps. I, I think taking naps are some of the most spiritual things we can do. Um, so, yeah, I just think don't, don't put this conversation aside. Keep talking about it with people. Yeah, one of the values we have in our community is the value of wholeness. And it's this idea of the whole person, right? So there's so many times that faith is segmented out or that we live sort of segmented lives. You know, this is who I am here. This is who I am here. 
uh, but the idea of wholeness. And so when you look at mental health, when you look at a concept like this, um, don't leave out the faith component. Um, now, this is real easy where it'd be just like as a pastor go, oh, hey, Jesus covers everything. And it's like, I do believe in the transforming life of Jesus, that we live in the resurrection. And so in this, to be a whole person, I, mental health stuff, it's great. You need to go see counselors. If, if you need the prescription, go get the prescription. Um, and then also lean into Jesus. Um, lean into his his guidance, his spirit, and, and how we do that uh, could take all sorts of different forms. Um, you know, it, it's within community. It's within our own personal transformation, our own personal rhythms, all of those things. Um, I know that for me, a lot of times I've had to be dragged to Jesus. <laughs> I've needed other people who are going to drag me towards my own wholeness. Um, and so, yeah, again, could be a little bit cliche, a little bit of the pastor answer, but don't, don't leave out the faith component in your mental health uh, journey. Yeah. I think that's so good. Um, you know, I think even having, you know, being mindful of your, your worldview and your mindset, um, this is where I think Hebraic mindset is so, so helpful, where you, it, it is more holistic, where the typical American mindset is we compartmentalize everything, right? We have a pocket for professional, we have a pocket for family and spiritual. Uh, and so I think attacking mental health, it, it really does have to be from a holistic standpoint. Uh, and part of that holistic standpoint is a lot of Jesus, uh, a lot of conversations and relationships, and sometimes, if need be, a little bit of Zoloft. That's okay, you know? It's, if, if that's what your body needs, that's what your body needs. Yeah. Yep. Amen. <laughs> All right. Well, again, none of us are um, mental health professionals. So please don't take anything that we've said as a prescription. That is not the, the point of this. We just wanted to bring it up, uh, be in your ears for a little bit, uh, and hopefully, you know, I encourage you to, to think about your own mental health, whether you're on the brink or if you're just slightly off. That's okay. I mean, we all have seasons where our mental health, we feel great, and other times we're, we're really needing it. But regardless, we all have to have some practices, some rules of life, uh, things that we know when that, when that dark night comes, we know how to respond. We know what our next steps are. So thank you guys for listening. Molly, uh, Alan, thank you guys for being on the podcast. It's so great to kind of hang out with you guys and, uh, and hear your insights on this important topic. Yeah, thanks, Terry. All right. And make sure that you uh, like us uh, on iTunes or whatever that thing is. Five stars. I heard that's the good number. So if we can get those uh, and share this, if you know anyone who uh, might benefit from hearing this, uh, please share it, social media and all that stuff. And so thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next time.